Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, the new version of the show, the Matt Risby-less version because he's off swanning around the world being exciting, travelling around South America for nine or ten months. Uh, as we discussed on the end of the last podcast, the show's going to continue on. We're going to do uh, episodes with guests, we're going to maybe try some things that we haven't done before, but because it's the start of the year, we're going to do what we always do, which is do a preview of the films coming out over the next nine months or so, up until September, when uh, Hollywood decides to release all of its prestige pictures. So we're going to talk about all of the uh, mainstream stuff that they put out in the interim. And to help me in that endeavour this week uh, is John Hunter, who's uh, returning to the show. Hi, John. How are you? I'm fine, Edwin. Thanks very much for having me back. You okay? Uh, Yeah, I'm very well. I am hoping to have, will have had a good Christmas. We're recording this a little bit in advance, so hopefully uh, the Christmas season is lovely for everyone involved who is uh, currently listening to this at the start of 2017, a year that uh, hopefully will be better than the last one. Uh, <laughs> if, if only in terms of uh, blockbuster cinema, because if there was one thing that 2016 was notable for, and it was the only thing really, like I can't think of anything else that happened, uh, it was that it was pretty wretched when it came to, uh, to blockbusters. Um, well, that's how I feel. How how did uh, 2016 play out for you, John? Well, uh, I think, yes, no, you're right. There wasn't really much that happened in the real world, but definitely uh, <laughs> other than Independence Day resurgence, which I think we can all agree is uh, is this year's Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I think uh, no, no, I, I think I definitely agree. I thought it was a great year for films in general, and but uh, blockbuster-wise, there was definitely a barren stretch of CG noise across uh, across the summer for with a few little highlights in between sneaking out in the smaller screens. Yeah, any any movie that cost more than $150 million you could preemptively write off last year. I mean, there were a few exceptions, but for the for the most part, uh, all of the things that people seemed to be excited about, such as the, oh, Man of Steel wasn't that good, maybe Batman vs. Superman will be all right, or Batman vs. Superman wasn't very good, but Suicide Squad, you know, that's going in a different direction. That one could be good. Uh, those didn't quite pan out. Whereas those lovely indie movies that were just in the low 100 million, they are. Oh, <laughs> they were <laughs> those charming little gems. <laughs> no, I think it, it was, a, it was a, a good mix. I'm sure you would have reviewed the year already as we record this. But uh, yeah, there was definitely an interesting mix, which I guess is what's got me uh, optimistic and hopeful for actually 2017, certainly in terms of cinema. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to hold on to something, haven't you, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you, fiction, for existing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to go through the year month by month. Uh, logically, we'll start with January. Uh, the first film I have on, and it's worth pointing out that the first couple of months of the year, uh, I had to stretch a little bit to find things to be excited about, <laughs> because apart from uh oscar contenders that expand into more screens january tends not to have that much uh so but i'll start with the latest movie by m night Shyamalan, split in which james mcavoy plays a person with split personality who holds uh, a group of young women hostage one of whom is played by anya taylor joy who was great in the witch last year and I'm uh I mean I'm I'm treating this list in the same way that time treats its person of the year which is that it's not necessarily an endorsement it's more this is something that I think to be significant and 
uh, as much as M Night Shyamalan has let the world down <laughs> since the since uh, since let's say Signs, which you know was the last one of his films I really really enjoyed, I'm still always hopeful that he can do something good because he's a kind of a genre filmmaker who's, who has interesting ideas and who is still like a really good craftsman. And uh, the trailer for this one looks particularly demented. <laughs> so uh, I'm hoping that this one uh, is at least enjoyably weird. I think, yes, this is uh, also was the first one on my list as well. Not least because perhaps we were scraping around for January's choices. But I think, but also I think I enjoy uh, the later films of M. Night Shyamalan more than most. So mm. uh, I, I particularly have a soft spot for Lady in the Water. I think... Uh, the village is actually much better than signs, especially on reflection and comparing it back to uh, to what was the events that caused him to write it and so on. Mm. But uh, I am kind of very interested now that he seems to have uh, joined sort of Blumhouse productions with these sort of much lower budget, more concept driven. Not that they were particularly vague and <laughs> meandering before, but uh, but the these sort of low budget, sort of high impact, little stealthy uh, sort of horror thrillers that come out. And I think Split looks like the perfect sort of psychological thriller. I was worried when I first saw the trailer that, yes, demented was the word or <laughs> offensive might be the other one. But uh, yeah. but I have actually seen sort of previews come around for it because they, they were screening it sort of this Halloween just gone uh, for places. And there seems to be really good feedback that there are, you know, maybe not a twist as such, but that in the way that it resolves, there's actually, you know, something to say there as well. So uh, I'm kind of I am quite interested in this and at the very least James McAvoy doing how many was it 27 or personalities was it also it certainly it certainly seemed that way from the trailer it seemed to jump around quite quite a bit uh but but yeah you're right about his his associated with Blumhouse his last film The Visit I believe was yeah. very very low budget and did did very well and I kind of wonder if his um Twilight Zone influence that seems to have driven a lot of his his movie his rod serlingness maybe is suited by a lower budget as opposed to the kind of uh you know the last airbender where he seems to really get lost in uh the kind of the studio money being thrown his way definitely i think um the visit was interesting because it, it was a found footage one which you mm. kind of thought oh m night shyamalan <laughs> come on that was so uh two years ago um but he um <laughs> But it, it, it really was incredible and it was good that the characters, even as kids, were filmmakers because it was still quite a gorgeous film and I don't mm. think that's ever been a problem. I mean, maybe with uh, The Last Airbender, but uh, he really knows how to fill a screen and so uh, how and considering he's going to be doing that this time with a, a, a character who will be presenting an entire cast, basically, in an enclosed environment, I just think he is the right director for that sort of thing to actually see that so i would say i'm actually erring into optimistic rather than just cautiously optimistic or just <laughs> it's january i'll take it <laughs> so, so, so. yeah so but, yeah any excuse to get to the theater did you have anything else for uh january we don't get uh la la land until january yet you're mm. right that it is the uh it is the strange period where everyone's best of the year before films becomes the uk's the following year film so i always forget so Technically, when I was coming up with my best of the year, I forgot things like Room and Spotlight, which came mm. out in at the beginning of January from my point of view. But uh, yeah, just to keep it classy, along with M. Night Shyamalan, I am strangely morbidly curious about the final episode in uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's long-running Resident Evil saga. Right. <laughs> I'm finally reaching our screens. Because 
not even consciously, but I have seen all of them so far. <laughs> and I do, again, I genuinely quite like the first one and the third one. And I what I think entices me is that I have also listened to the commentaries and they do seem to really enjoy them. And the fact that even though all of the characters have died and then somehow come back as clones or armies of clones or armies of clones that are monsters, <laughs> it's the fact that they clearly had a way out but have come back. So there is like a, I don't, it probably is the least cynical franchise <laughs> that actually exists in Hollywood. And it's just nice that they get to play off in one corner. So I feel like I've completely ruined your podcast in terms of its <laughs> integrity. But uh, but I just think that Millie Ovovich has um, just really good sort of... Uh, she's got movie star kind of quality, mm-hmm. I think. And plus she is really, really good at kicking whilst, uh, whilst wielding dual machine guns. <laughs> so I'm curious to see how they're actually going to put a full stop on this franchise just simply because uh, all of them have ended with like, and that's the end, or is it? Kind of clone hand returning from a test tube or something <laughs> like that. So I'm just thinking, are you actually going to be capable of a full stop? <laughs> so, so yeah, so uh, another Oscar contender there. Yeah, I mean, I am I am curious as well, because like you say, I'm just fascinated by um, the fact that it has been allowed to exist on its own and Paul W.S. Anderson has more or less been able to craft his own ludicrously complex mythology around this original idea uh, and every couple of years manages to put out another instalment and every few years people are like, oh, that's still going. <laughs> and, they, <Yeah. laughs> and they still make like hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide and then you get another one. So, But, but the idea of it being the final one and, and with horror franchises, that's always something to be taken with a grain of salt when you consider like Friday the 13th part three, I believe was called the final chapter. So, uh, so, but if, if it is genuinely the end, it'd be interesting as someone who uh, has kind of a very broad understanding of, of where that franchise has gone, but not enough knowledge to know exactly who is a clone anymore <laughs> or who, who has died and who's come to life. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the idea of of someone trying to bring all those threads to to a, to a final point. Similarly to like when you see something like like a lost ending, and suddenly they've got to go like, okay, how do we wrap everything up? We've got all of these balls in the air, but uh, one that's played out over a much longer time. Because like the first one came in like two thousand and two or something. Yes, I was. Uh, yeah, I was definitely. It was just the new century had just begun when yeah. this uh, when this franchise. And it's fair to say that the the games haven't exactly been uh, uh, critically acclaimed in their sort of latter ones either. But then there's yeah. a lot of buzz about the new one that's coming up this year as well. So maybe it was completely the wrong chapter to call the final one mm. <laughs> because it, maybe there'll never be more interest. So. Yeah, I saw some I saw some gameplay footage for uh, Resident Evil Seven Biohazard, and uh, it looks like a game I will never play because I don't handle first person horror games well. But it certainly looks very effective at that because uh, I it was like a very terrifying eight minutes of someone being stalked around a house by a man with a massive shovel who can burst through walls, which is quite quite a thing to see uh, and experience secondhand. Yes, I think that. That sounds a lot subtler than uh, anything I've seen in the trailer for this new movie, which uh, essentially looks like they've seen Mad Max Fury Road and <laughs> gone, ooh. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much the script. The only other film I had for January, and like you said, you said you were bringing disrepute to this podcast with Resident Evil, but the only other one I had, the only other one I had was Triple X 3, The Return of Xander Cage. 
because and again this is this is one that i just think of as interesting as opposed to good which is that the the triple x franchise has been dormant for a very long time much as fast and furious was dormant for a while and much as the uh, riddick franchise was was dormant for a while and i just like the fact that vin diesel's approach to becoming kind of a huge superstar again has been that he's just trying to force people to care about the franchises that were left to wither on the vine <laughs> um and and this one for me is particularly interesting because the whole idea behind triple x franchise is dumb it's a very very silly idea of what if an extreme sportsman <laughs> was hired by a clandestine uh, version of the US government headed by Samuel Jackson? So they were ahead of the curve in in some regards there, I guess, um, to to help solve international uh, international problems. And that was a dumb idea when Vin Diesel was in his twenties and was the right age to play it. <laughs> and now he's kind of edging towards 50 like seeing the trailer is like oh he's still like us an extreme sports superstar it's just uh it's just baffling to me that, that this franchise has been result revived but at the same time i'm just curious to see how, how it turns out and if dj caruso who uh kind of got a little bit of attention for suburbia and eagle eye back in the the, the mm -hmm. last decade and hasn't done much since if he can do something interesting with it because he he was someone who seem to have a dab hand when it came to kind of mainstream action pablum <laughs> and this seems like uh exactly that yes i remember when uh, dj caruso was in the running for a, a why the last man adaptation which mm. seems to have gone by the wayside now but uh yeah so but i don't know maybe this is maybe triple x3 is actually uh, <laughs> is actually the stealth uh, kind of why the last man adaptation so all the themes are carried across so uh, <laughs> or it'd be so, vin uh, diesel's uh like vin diesel's unforgiven where he kind yes. of really <laughs> draws out the <laughs> the sadness of the character and kind of really puts it all to bed but uh some somehow based on the multiple scenes of him kind of snowboarding in the trailer uh suggests that that's probably not going to be the case no, unless they're just they're just sort of dream sequences, and then we just cut to Vin, uh, Xander Cage now, just in a bar sighing or something. Goes, <laughs> I, I was just imagining I could still snowboard, but no, my knees, ooh, <laughs> my knees. <laughs> so, so yeah, so an, another um, another champion contender for the film best film of January. There, I feel. Yeah, I think I, I couldn't confirm. I guess my final suggestion is that. I couldn't necessarily confirm the release date, but I think we're getting a Monster Calls, the adaptation mm. of the Patrick Ness book in January as well, which I am genuinely excited for. And so I decided not to read the book, having wanted to, once I knew that the film was coming. I think it was based on a tweet by Patrick Ness, who I, that, that doesn't make sense that he wouldn't want you to buy his book. <laughs> <laughs> so I may have just made that up. But uh, I think I thought I would uh, watch the film first and then, and then read the book as this brilliant sort of young adult portrayal of a sort of magical realism in terms of dealing with grief. So with uh, Liam Neeson playing a giant sort of tree creature, as as I think we all need in Santa times, <laughs> I think. So, so um, I actually am genuinely sort of optimistic for that. The trailer for that looks, uh, some you know, visually stunning, a sort of a Pan's Labyrinth kind of uh, sort of tone to it without that, uh, if, if, if in a sort of a much more sort of British and uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, almost, uh, yeah, yeah, in a much more British kind of manner. Mm, yeah, I, I, uh, I watched the screener of that a few weeks ago, and it's very good. Ah, splendid, excellent. Uh, so Neeson does a terrific job. He was always first choice for tree creature, really, wasn't he? <laughs>
Uh, okay, so we'll move on to February. Uh, my first one is uh, a film which I've been referring to as Martian Babies, but it's actually called <laughs> actually called The Space Between Us, which is uh, a science fiction, I think, based on a YA novel starring Asa Butterfield, uh, who was uh, in uh, Martin Scorsese's Hugo and then was in the Ender's Game adaptation that everyone forgot happened. Uh, and Britt <laughs> Robertson, who is uh, was in uh, Tomorrowland. So c- c- two young stars who have been kind of hampered by sci-fi films that didn't do too well. But ba- basically he plays a, uh, a young man who was uh, the first human born on Mars. And because he was born on Mars, his uh, physiology is is unsuited to life on Earth. So, but he is brought back because his, uh, if if I understand correctly, his life was kept more or less secret, and then the world finds out that there is kind of a first genuine Martian, and so his journey is kind of the opposite of Matt Damon's, and that he starts on Mars and ends up ends up going back to Earth, uh, and uh, and what happens when he gets there and kind of escapes into a world where he doesn't really understand anything that's there and he is literally being crushed by the effects of of our gravity on him uh and it looks interesting from the uh trailer but but mainly i'm interested in it because uh, because the the success of gravity and the martian seem to have spurred a slew of space movies uh and it's been a while since we've had remotely kind of based on science space uh, science fiction cinema occurring as opposed to just kind of variations on star wars so i'm interesting to see how that plays with like a young adult audience yeah that um maybe we should have conferred our lists beforehand i was looking forward to nice surprises but the nice surprises that we're clearly looking forward to the same film i think, <laughs> I think that's uh, definitely one that interested me not only because i actually abandoned the novel i was writing a young adult novel <laughs> that uh, uh, that was based on a similar project but with a girl who was born on the moon rather than ah. mars <laughs> uh, and uh, but I, I was more than happy to abandon it and go, let's go and see what it should have been. <laughs> like, so, uh, <laughs> But I think, yeah, it does look like it should be quite charming and quite thoughtful. And again, as you say, just moving us into sort of actually science-based movies and uh, but looking at how the characters and how humanity actually fits into science, I think is, uh, is a brilliant trend to explore for a while, uh, just as, as long as it doesn't become too, uh, come too sort of like cynical or alienating. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, talking about abandoned novels i once wrote a short story about what if all crime was legal for 24 hours when i was about 19 and i abandoned it because i thought this is a stupid idea (laughs) so when the third purge movie came out last year i was thinking maybe if i just had the confidence in my bad ideas (laughs) something could have happened with that because it is a very silly idea and yet it became a trilogy of very silly movies so uh, I guess that's a lesson for everyone. Just kind of follow through on your bad ideas and they might end up as uh, bad movies. Yes. Other people like bad ideas. <laughs> if there's one thing that the year... Anyway, <laughs> let's not dwell. <laughs> What's your next movie for February? Again, we're sort of moving on with sort of these horror franchises. There is a another Ring movie, but mm. this time Rings emerging, which I am curious to see how now that we've moved on from VHSs in general and uh, just and whether the, the sort of... the uh, US J-horror kind of adaptations or translations has sort of fizzled out a bit to see if this has anything left to sort of reinvigorate it or if it is a case of this we've still got the license can we bring a few more bucks out of it uh, as far as I'm aware there's not many uh, there's not been many plot details that have been revealed about it but I presume we could assume sort of upset uh, upset spirits sort of raking their vengeance upon the living via mm. 
communication devices, but uh, it'd be interesting to see if it's got anything else other than like various cell phones and cameras and things that were the sort of ring knockoffs to begin with, if it's now going to rip them off or do anything with it. So even if this is the Scream 4 in the franchise, mm-hmm. I'm still quite curious. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's very weird thinking about how what films now feel like period pieces even though they were made in our lifetime or when we were like sentient adults because i feel Mm. like uh something that's lost to history for certainly for anyone who was born in kind of like since the year 2000s would be like the opening of scream and the idea of a character (laughs) having a mobile phone being like a huge revelation (laughs) like the idea is like oh she's on the phone so that person can't possibly be in the same house as her you know it's like oh no like it's something that anyone could do at all now and uh yeah, the the VHS mania that drove Ringu and then the the remakes and the fear of this technology being in people's homes uh, seems to uh, seems very quaint now. I, I my my hope is it isn't just like oh now it's a viral video and anyone who watches it on YouTube has can can be killed by uh, Sadaku, but uh, I mean we'll we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, the the. I think Ring 2 was probably one of the worst films I've ever seen in a cinema. So they've got a low bar to clear. The American version. Yeah. 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 It was, um, it's such a shame as well, because I think Naomi Watts is so good in Mm. it. And the child was properly creepy, but it was, they really made things up. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) I love, because I I have read all of the books and, and love the Japanese franchise warts and all on it. But uh, so, yeah, so I'm just curious to see, where it actually can go because if you're going to start doing yeah haunted google glass and stuff like that then <laughs> is, isn't that just ghost in the shell <laughs> so it's uh you know it's like are we the weird middle bit now so yeah. just between those two franchises and beyond that for february uh just like going back to your the purge uh reference the only other film i could really see that was i was curious about was untitled blumhouse project february 2017 <laughs> so <laughs> I was uh, thinking earlier, it is really interesting that uh, I, because I'm in awe of how the sort of the Blumhouse projects have come about. But when mm. that was scheduled, we don't know if that might have been, that might be a sequel to something that has been successful and proved, or, or it'll be a new thing that will itself have its own uh, sequels uh, as well. So I just, I am quite curious, like genuinely curious to see what that's going to be. So mm. whether I then actually want to watch it, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like Blumhouse seem to be the only people who have, cottoned on to the fact that if you make cheap movies and put them out in a lot of theaters chances are you make a profit and it's it's more likely to make a profit than investing hundreds of millions of dollars in a franchise starter that might not take off or a uh to, to go back to independence day resurgence a 20 years <laughs> too late sequel that no one really cares about i think last year i i decided to look at what were the most profitable films of of last year based on you know cost versus how much they earned and, mm. and and the multiplier and pretty much all of them were low budget comedies or low budget horrors things like lights out which cost i think like a million and ended up making like more than 100 million worldwide and things like that uh, and you you wonder why uh, big studios don't do more kind of like smaller horror arms and just kind of go in that way because it seems like a pretty smart way of getting uh, like a little bit of extra profit for when your uh when your reboots of jumanji don't <laughs> don't pan out or whatever uh absolutely and it's curious because already rings seems to be a bit more expensive than your mm. average blumhouse movie as well so it's uh it's even with that there, there doesn't seem to have been a lesson learned 
Yeah. Now, am um, I mistaken? Is the Lego Batman movie out in February 2017? It is, uh, and it's on my list, and uh, I am very excited for it. <laughs> Terrific, likewise. I, I feel like I shouldn't be, because the Lego movie was great, uh, but it seemed like a trick that would be very hard to pull off again, because uh, it had the advantage of having very low expectations. Like, the idea of a movie about Lego being uh, hugely entertaining and, and kind of at points profound seemed insane <laughs> uh and the idea of them saying okay we're going to spin off a whole movie about batman seems like it would be uh, taking a one joke character and pushing it too far but all the trailers so far have been uh, hysterical and i think have have only been funnier because even though it's all produced by warner brothers who also do the kind of dark gritty dc stuff they seem to be very willing to make fun of that stuff and that's a uh that's something I'm very happy to see <laughs> that that someone within the company is saying, yeah, maybe maybe this character who at various points has been funny and goofy could could be that again, and more so if he's made of Lego. Yes, I think I think I I mean I am an absolute fan of the games, which are just mm. as funny as uh, yeah. I started replaying them this morning actually, just because uh, it was a bit more Christmassy than the uh, Alien Isolation game I was replaying before, <laughs> which again yeah. with your your point of view on uh, POV horrors, uh, it might not be one for you, but um, <laughs> that's a terrific game as well. But uh, yeah, I was kind of a little bit cynical about Lego Batman, I think, because, and, and maybe there's this, there's some of this with some superhero movies as well that I feel are getting a bit too silly, mm-hmm. or like they're actually just making fun of the things that they are adapting or just telling their stories about. But as you say, with the Lego movie, I don't think that was the case, is that they were genuinely, as you say, it's had moments of profound uh, sort of an hopeful and happiness and optimistic and possibility. And I mm. think uh, so as long as Lego Batman isn't just essentially a film about isn't Batman silly, <laughs> then uh, then then there's something there. Even if there's a lot of jokes that are about isn't Batman <laughs> silly, I'm fine with that. But as long as there's that one percent that just actually is something uh, about a character as well, then all of the jokes are just look fantastic. I also in uh, February I have J- John Wick Chapter Two talking about movies that uh, are sequels to movies that had very low expectations. Uh, you know the first John Wick came out and it seemed like it was just going to be another generic Keanu Reeves action movie, but instead of going kind of straight to DVD, it happened to be in theaters, uh, and it was one of the most fun action movies I'd seen in quite a while, uh, and I was really glad that it did did well. I'm again I'm not sure how well they can can continue without that element of surprise helping them but uh it's nice to see that a sequel's been made they seem to have got a much larger budget <laughs> based on the fact that this one instead of taking place in slightly anonymous warehouses which are probably toronto pretending to be new york <laughs> um this one seems to be taking place in rome <laughs> so it's like they they seem to have up the budget lawrence fishburns in it so you get a nice little uh, reunion scene between him and uh, him and keanu uh, and it also, and also, it continues the first films, uh, uh, the the first films trend of casting every character actor you loved from from various TV shows in it. Because the first one had like Lance Reddick and Ian McShane and uh, uh, and uh, uh, the guy who played Theon Greyjoy in uh, in Game of Thrones, Alfie Allen, uh, mm-hmm. and all of these people just kind of showing up in bit parts. It's like, oh, this is this is great. It's like someone's jammed all my box sets into a single movie. 
uh, and that that kind of idea seems to be con- continuing on in in this one. Uh, and he's got a new dog this time as well. So hopefully nothing happens to the lovely kind of boxer that he's got. Um, but yeah. I I'm quite excited for it. I think I think I must confess, and I say I don't want to lose your listeners, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, I I didn't enjoy the first John Wick as much as everyone else seemed to. Mm-hmm. I certainly think that Keanu has amazing chops uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to this kind of movie. I think again, like he's. Uh, got that just action persona that he can do a lot with a little just a glare or or a turn is just uh he's remarkable at that um and and don't get me wrong as well i am all in favor of a film that is centered around if you hurt my dog i will tear this city <laughs> apart <laughs> I, I am fine with that as a message <laughs> that there needs to be a lesson there but um yeah but i think uh, and i did enjoy every single ian mcshane appearance or, or willem dafoe as well was it it wasn't yeah. he, i think and uh and uh you know so and lance reddick and all of these uh there was i don't know maybe maybe i just do need to watch it again and then to be fair there's no way i won't go and see this one but, uh, <laughs> but there's just something about it that didn't quite click so for me so again sometimes it takes a sequel appearing to make you go back and reevaluate the original so mm. excited for that one as well see what happens there uh, and uh, I've got two more that I'll just rattle through quickly. The Great Wall, which is the uh, Matt Damon starring movie that takes place on the Great Wall of China, which has been getting a lot of slack for the fact that it's a Matt Damon movie that takes place on the Great Wall of China. But See, I uh, was deliberately not mentioning that one. <laughs> yeah. Just to avoid uh, ire. But... <laughs> I'm mainly interested in it because it's directed by Zhang Yimao, who did like House of Flying Daggers, Hero. Yes. Um, uh, and a bunch of like wonderfully acrobatic movies. So uh, I, I, I'd be interested in it for the choreography, but not for the uh, continuing <laughs> decades long trend, uh, trend of whitewashing uh, movies. Although in that one, it's weird because it's a Chinese produced movie that happens to be casting a white person to get an international budget. So in some ways, it's the exact opposite of what Hollywood has been doing for years when they cast like a famous Chinese person for one scene in Iron Man 3 because they can put them in the trailer and say, okay, now it will do well in China. Uh, That's true. And as high concepts go, I'm on board, I have to admit. Mm. <laughs> it's just like the real reason for the Great Wall being built. So uh, yeah. just defend from monsters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other one was Get Out, which is the new, well, the first movie directed by Jordan Peele of uh, the sketch group uh, Key and Peele, uh, which is a horror movie, I think produced by Blumhouse, uh, about a uh, a black man and his white girlfriend going to visit her parents and uh, them existing in some sort of weird Stepford Wives, it seems, community of a kind of horrifying gentrification. And uh, it looks terrifying from the trailer, but also it has, uh, you know, it's a it seems to have a lot of uh, satirical uh, bite to the to the basic premise. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited to see how exactly that turns out. Fantastic. I I must admit, Key and Peel are referenced in everything I read and listen to and watch, <laughs> but I've never seen any. But I, and so I wasn't aware of that film. That sounds awesome. So uh, so I'll add that to my list too. I'll send you some links. Uh, they're, they're Thank great. you. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're into March now. The first one I have is uh, Logan, the third Wolverine movie. Although in actuality, most X Men movies are Wolverine movies. So this is like number 12 or something uh but this is one that uh promises to be the farewell for the character i believe uh it seems to be the way they're spinning it where the character of logan is now kind of old he's got a a young uh girl as kind of a sidekick who seems to have his powers uh patrick stewart's in it looking very old uh and it's uh 
basically promising to be an X-rated bloodbath, which apparently is something that Wolverine fans have been clamoring for for years. I'm not really that keen in seeing him like be that violent. He was always pretty violent in the X-Men films, but uh, I was... I was impressed by the first trailer where they used uh, Hurt by Johnny Cash, which is a song that I love. Uh, but I, I'm also intrigued by Jen, James Mangold's vision for, for that story and his him talking about it, referencing like uh, like kind of old samurai movies and things like that, or, or stories about older characters kind of reaching some sort of grace as the end their, as the end of their lives. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see it even though i haven't really liked most of the recent wolverine or x-men movies yeah i think we're all i think most when i say we're in the same boat i mean most of us listening mm. or uh, in in the world i think yeah i think uh, sort of it also seems to have a lot of unforgiven about it as well so maybe mm. this will be the second uh the the other Xander Cage movie we've all been waiting for <laughs> as, as a third in a trilogy, um, but uh, yeah, I, th- I do think there's there's a lot that's exciting about this, and and clearly what James Mangold's been trying to do. Like yourself, I'm not necessarily interested in in just watching him behead people with an R rating, <laughs> but if, but if that also means along with that you you have an incredibly violent tale like Unforgiven, but there's also it's the the consequences and the weight of that as well, without it becoming somber and serious. overarching that but uh, without necessarily this being it doesn't need to be john wick 2 either (laughs) i think it's basically what i mean (laughs) so yeah if we get adult adult violence with adult emotions then uh, yes that's that's something i'd like to see as opposed to just okay we we're allowed to have like say beheadings or him jamming his claws through people's eyes or whatever you know that's you know that's that's a problem with uh, adult orientated comics is a lot of them just like okay we can be really violent and explicit as opposed to saying okay we're making a story that adults can actually enjoy and maybe get something out of other than you know satiating their bloodlust yeah so in terms of deadpool going one way with its r ratedness mm. uh, if logan goes the other way so if you know if there's spikes coming out of people's eyes but tears coming out of logan's <laughs> then that would be a perfect blend wouldn't it i think <laughs> I think uh, another choice for me for March is I'm actually quite eager for Kong Skull Island, mm. which is, um, I think, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't know necessarily about building up into a large franchise of Kong versus Godzilla versus uh, who who knows ever else. But I do love a big monster movie. And mm-hmm. this just looks unashamed in its uh, in its in its way of actually going for that. It's an amazing cast with Brie Larson and uh, Tom Hiddleston and John Goodman. Although that first trailer dropped a little while ago, and John C. Riley's strange stand-up routine in the middle of it <laughs> seems like a very curious trend. However, I don't know whether that's just trying to prove that if it's from you know the producers of Godzilla, that uh, this is actually going to be actually have a bit of fun and adventure to it as well, mm. which I think is is uh, also a necessary mix. He he also seems to play into because when I when I watched that trailer um, and I rewatched it last night, the thing that struck me was it seemed to have a great apocalypse now influence to it you have the shot of the helicopters behind kong silhouetted against the sun you have course, just this yeah. idea it has an army of an army of darkness heart of darkness feel to it if it had an army of darkness feel to it i'd be <laughs> fully on board uh but you know it has a heart of darkness kind of feel to it of traveling into some mysterious location and being surrounded by the jungle uh, and his character kind of struck me as as being like the dennis hopper of it someone who's gone native and who seems unhinged by it all but like you say more 
more obviously comedic in that he's like saying, you know, I call them skull, skull climbers or whatever. Oh, no, that sounds terrible. I've never said it out loud, you know, <laughs> which is which is funny, but also does seem at odds with the deadly seriousness of, of with which the rest of the uh, the film kind of uh, comports itself. But it certainly, uh, it, you know, is an interesting direction. And, and, you know, it's a great cast. You know, I'm I love John Goodman, uh, particularly when he's playing someone who's uh, perhaps slightly twisted and obsessive, like he was great in Ten Cloverfield Lane last year. Historically, you know, his performance in Barton Fink is one of my favourite performances that anyone's ever given in any movie. Uh, so, so I am, I am like you. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's a lot of elements there that could make for a really interesting movie. But, but part of me does wonder, it, it does kind of want it to fail just because Universal here in Florida have built a huge a huge attraction built around Kong Island, like a whole section of the theme park is going to be dedicated to it. And part of me, like whenever there's something so hubristic as that <laughs> makes me kind of think it'd be funny if that movie just didn't make any money <laughs> and they've invested tens of millions of dollars in building this, uh, you know, alongside like the Harry Potter world and the Jurassic Park world. It's like, oh, Kong Skull Island world. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think, uh, I can't remember who it was I saw on, on Twitter saying about it, going, oh, I was watching that trailer. Uh, I was worried for a moment there. There weren't going to be large CG monsters with weird elbows. But no, there they are at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that was, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, yes, this does feel like one of those franchi- these uh, franchise kickstarters that mm. uh, haven't necessarily earned it up front. However, in attracting that cast, you've got to hope that it wasn't just through paychecks, I guess. Yeah, a movie that I only first only discovered in research for this, which sounds quite interesting, is a movie called The Wall, not to be confused with The Great Wall, which is a movie directed by Doug Lyman, who did uh, Born Identity and Edge of Tomorrow and Swingers and Go, someone who's directed a bunch of great movies. Uh, and it's a movie in which Aaron Taylor-Johnson and John Cena play American servicemen in Iraq who... Uh, get pinned down by a sniper and end up in is kind of a survival story of them being trapped behind a flimsy wall with this sniper shooting at them and taunting them and the reason why it sounds interesting to me is one it's 81 minutes long and I'm always in favor of movies that can get everything done in less than 90 minutes but also based on the trailer and what I've read about it it sounds like it's a movie that takes place more or less in real time and in the single location with just those three actors uh, and maybe oh, some wow. e- maybe some extras like as soldiers and thing uh, in like later scenes or something but uh, if it kind of adheres to that and it remains kind of like uh, you know like the classical unities thing of time place and uh, and and event uh, that could be really exciting for me because i'm always i'm always interested in seeing what people do with an incredibly focused and limited premise and the idea of two soldiers pinned down by a sniper trying to figure out how to get out of that situation sounds uh, really enticing to me uh, and maybe they're just hiding all of like the flashbacks in the trailer <laughs> like when you get there it's going to take 50 percent of it is going to take place like with in a kitchen you know with them kind of talking about their wives or whatever but i i do i do like the idea that currently is being sold of it taking place pretty much just in this one desolate uh, stretch of desert that's really interesting with having Doug Lyman as a director who mm. you don't re- necessarily think of as your obvious. Uh, I mean, he hasn't uh, Edge of Tomorrow or, or or one of its many names. That would, I don't think he's done anything since then, has he? No. Other than develop the sequel and then abandon it, I remember, for this. But uh, yeah, that sounds really interesting, actually. Yeah, uh, And it does continue his, 
career long path of just kind of jumping between disparate projects which don't seem to make any sense but occasionally he like delivers a a great movie and and this one if the premise is kind of as as it's kind of sold sounds like it's not going to be subject to the massive reshoots and budget overruns that typify everything else he's ever made which uh (laughs) constantly go wildly out of control this one seems like it'd be very hard for him to do that yeah, no, that sounds, that does sound like an interesting one, especially in a sort of a month that's got you know X Men movies and King Kong stomping mm. around as well. So yeah, another choice for me was uh, Free Fire by mm. Ben Wheatley. It's out over here. So I have actually tried to keep my research into knowing what's going on here <laughs> into uh, into in this film to a minimum, other than knowing the concept of it is essentially an arms deal in a uh, in a warehouse, again, a sort of a single location that is mm-hmm. essentially a large shootout for its entire duration. So it sounds like the perfect double act to go with the wall. I wonder if mm-hmm. that was uh, an intentional release. But again, it's picked up a, a, a strong cast of, um, of Ben Wheatley regulars, uh, Michael Smiley, but also again, Brie Larson. So uh, she's you could triple bill it with her and Kong in Kong Skull Island as well. Then. So <laughs> I think so. March is going to be weird. I think that's what we're learning here. But, mm. uh, so um, yes, but I, other than that, it just being a sort of a dialogue and negotiation and a sort of shootout driven movie that is essentially people trying to win the battle and then essentially just trying to survive it sounds like a, a perfect way to uh, sort of follow up the very, very different uh, adaptation of High Rise that was uh, one of the one of the treats of 2016 for me. So I think Ben Wheatley is, again, maybe like Doug Lyman, happily leaping from project to project mm. and doing not what you'd expect, but then when you see it, you kind of go, well, of course he made that. <laughs> so I think his uh, partnership with Amy Jump in their scripts and stories has just been has created some real gems that haven't all necessarily connected with me, but that mm. I'm all, all definitely glad exist. So yeah, fingers um, crossed. The, the trailer for that is... Uh like three shots of caffeine you know just watch it it's like oh wow i'm very awake now this this looks like a crazy movie and i'm i'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens like like you not everything ben wheatley does kind of connects with me but uh, i'm glad that there is a british filmmaker out there who uh, seems perfectly happy to plow his own kind of strange furrow and go in whatever way he wants the only other big one for for march for me is beauty and the beast uh oh yes which uh, looks very nice. It's Bill Condon, who's like a, a very good filmmaker, did uh, Gods and Monsters many, many years ago, which is a terrific movie. Uh, and uh, the casting looks pretty solid. Uh, I like the idea of Luke Evans as Gaston. Uh, I've always found him to be a very engaging presence and he has the uh, the arrogance to play that character well. Um, but, but so little of it has been shown so far that I, I kind of, I don't know if it justifies its existence uh, as kind of a straight retelling of the animated movie, which is one of my um, my favorite movies of all time. It was it was my favorite movie for a very very long time when I was a kid, and it's still still up there. So uh, I have high expectations for it, but I also like with the 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 Kenneth Branagh Cinderella, which was a lovely movie that I, I really enjoyed. But the, or the Jungle Book last year, there's there it's hard not to say yeah, it's hard not to shake that sense of. I don't know why this exists. <laughs> I don't know why this is this is being made, but I am I'm interested to see how it turns out. Yeah, no, I I think likewise. I mean, yes, uh, Gods and Monsters is a film I absolutely adore. So mm. seeing a new film by Bill Condon is uh, is 
a fantastic thing to look forward to. But yes, I think likewise, we're, we're learning things about each other that Beauty and the Beast <laughs> is definitely my favorite of the, of the Disney movies. And, uh, and I'm, but I'm more than fine for this existing for the next generation who, for, for whom that's different. And I think Emma Watson as Belle is actually the, the most, I can't imagine <laughs> if you were going to draw a live action version, mm. that is, that is what she would look like and how she would act. So I think that's fantastic. So I hope the people that it's aimed for really enjoy it, I guess is my uh, my thought for that. So. Yeah. The, the only other thing that I've noticed is the CGI kind of Cogsworth and Lumiere are terrifying. <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things when, when it's animated, you think, oh, this, this makes perfect sense. But when you have to try and think, what would a clock human look like uh it gets very quickly gets into like body horror yes uh, it's just like <laughs> and that's before you get to the randy candlestick <laughs> sort of going stay away from emma watson lumiere <laughs> <laughs> okay so for april the april is a weird mixture where i have two um kind of low budget uh or, or lowish budget movies and then one of the biggest movies of the year uh the fate of the furious <laughs> this is the kind of the first one the eighth movie in the fast and furious franchise uh, a series which has really won me over with its last few installments with uh, what I've often determined, uh, described as its dunderheaded charm. They are very, they're very, very dumb movies, but which acknowledge that the only reason they exist is to have the cast constantly say the word family and to stage elaborate and crazy action movies, sequence, uh, action sequences involving cars in this one being chased by a submarine through the glaciers. <laughs> so, um, so I'm excited to see how that turns out. I'm also very, very excited to see Charlize Theron as the villain. Uh, and uh, I'm just kind of like, as the series has gone on, they just keep adding like different action movie stars to it. Like obviously they added The Rock, then they added Jason Statham and he's back. Now it's Charlize Theron. It's like, as it goes on, it's getting more like a mad, 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 mad world of action <laughs> movie stars. Just All these people just constantly showing up. Uh, and uh, I kind of, I kind of admire that about it. I'm interested to see at what point it becomes just so overstuffed that the whole thing keels over. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how, how insane this one gets. Likewise, I think yes. I I must admit I am behind on my Fast and Furious movies, but <laughs> I I enjoy the gusto of them. And every time there is a trailer on, I go, I see they've hired a people. Uh, they've hired people who drive cars <laughs> and are using their cars to solve problems that would probably best solved by things other than cars. <laughs> so I think that's a, that's a fantastic uh, sort of for the writers or people coming up with the set pieces. It's just a fantastic way to approach it and kind of go right. They've got to pick a lock. How can they use cars? <laughs> <laughs> they've got to cook <laughs> they've got to stop that woman from crying use the cars <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it's, it's so. kind of like uh the final destination movies you kind of go in with a, an end point it's like how can we spear this person with stairs it's like all right and then work backwards it's like how can we use cars to resolve this problem okay yeah figured it out and <laughs> let's let's try and make it happen let's strap parachutes to cars and drop them from a plane yeah, it gets yeah. So I definitely appreciate, as you say, there's keep building it and building it. So I don't want it to uh, to Jenga wobble, but uh, <laughs> I don't want it to fall. But I am enjoying it as it starts to teeter under the weight of itself. I think because that's that's where you you feel like, oh god, you got away with it. Well done. <laughs> so, so yeah. So fingers crossed again for that one. You got anything else for April? For April, uh, I could also recommend to you all uh, Untitled Blumhouse April Project <laughs> 2017. So uh, again, we know we've got another treat. I do like that Blumhouse is the only other place that's staking out release dates in that uh, sort of DC and Marvel fashion. But uh, mm. good for them. So who knows what that could be? 
I think there's a few. Um, there is a Tom Hanks movie, uh, an adaptation of Dave Eggers' The Circle. Again, mm. another uh, novel I've not actually read, but I'm intrigued by. Uh, and I think, uh, again, that's built up quite a cast as well. Um, I just think that, again, looks like uh, like the perfect blend of a sort of a sort of genre-driven uh, sort of narrative, but also perhaps ultimately proving to be the the sort of Dan Brown adaptation that perhaps Tom Hanks was looking for to begin with. I was just like, ah, this is how you star in an adaptation of a good book. <laughs> so so yeah. fingers crossed for that one. Yeah, I've, I have that one as well. Uh, it's also directed by James Ponzolt, who previously has directed kind of very intimate character dramas he directed smashed and uh, the spectacular now which are two really great movies about alcoholism in different ways he directed mm. the end of the tour the the movie about uh david foster wallace which came out a couple of years ago which was a kind of a really lovely little movie um, this seems like a big step step up for him because obviously you know you've got tom hanks emma watson again john boyega karen gillen Patton oswalt bill paxton you know a great selection of people to have in your your movie but it's also got uh, from the trailer like satellites and it's all about this kind of utopian internet company and like all utopias uh turns out that it's not so perfect and that there's something sinister but uh yeah like, like you say it has that dan brownish quality to it but also actually looks uh looks good <laughs> looks like it <laughs> yes. could be worthwhile i think uh, that is the perfect trailer <laughs> the perfect trailer tagline there you summed up sorry yes i forgot to actually describe what the story was about there yeah but that's uh i think i also like that the book uh for anyone who enjoyed westworld this year is that the cover of the book sort of has the sort of similar design to the maze from westworld so i think there is a kind of a uh, the sort of the puzzle element is yes perhaps closer to westworld and uh in its storytelling than the Da Vinci Code. So yeah, so fingers crossed for that. And who's who's not always up for a Tom Hanks movie? Mm. My my only concern with that one is that it's produced by EuropaCore, who are Luke Besson's production company who uh, mainly trade in horse shit. <laughs> it has to be said. Like they, they occasionally churn out a good movie, but mainly it's uh kind of uh cheapo action comedies uh this obviously looks very different for them uh, that and uh miss sloan the uh political thriller with jessica chastain that just came mm. out are the kind of their two they seem to be stepping outside of their comfort zone and I'm, I'm interested to see how that turns out uh the only other movie for april that has my interest is uh, the lost city of z or the lost city of Z, depending on your your postcode which is the latest film from James Gray, who is uh, a wonderful filmmaker who has never, ever had a successful movie, which is a shame. He directed um, We Own the Night, most recently The Immigrant, which was a, a great underseen movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, and Jeremy Renner and Marianne Cotillard. Uh, and it's an adaptation of a nonfiction book about uh, British explorers going into the, I believe, the Amazon in search of a mythical lost city and what they find there uh, it stars charlie hunnam who is uh, kind of a very neutral figure for me he doesn't really add anything to a movie but he doesn't detract he's like he's always there he turns up he's punctual and you can see where he is <laughs> you can say he's a, he's, yeah he's like a placeholder actor if you wanted to <laughs> mock up a poster and you didn't know who was going to be the lead you could put charlie hunnam in there and everyone would go yeah Sure, why not? But it stars him and Robert Pattinson, who post-Twilight, much like Kristen Stewart, has kind of been forging an interesting path, working with with kind of interesting and difficult directors. Uh, it looks gorgeous. The early reviews have been very, very positive. So I'm very excited to see what happens there. And it also, uh, I believe this one and The Wall are both produced by Amazon Studios, who have seemed to have made it their raison d'etre to 
give money to filmmakers who struggle to make movies in the studio system and get them to make kind of odd projects that you wouldn't expect to ever get made. So uh, I'm I'm in favour of that. I'm not in favour of everything Amazon does, but if it allows them to uh, produce weird and interesting movies like that, then uh, then I'm happy. Okay, uh, on to May. Uh, I think the, the kind of uh, £500 gorilla of the month, really, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yes, I think uh, I saw the trailer for that for the first time yesterday. I was saving it. I knew it was in front of Rogue One, so mm-hmm. I saved it for the big screen. It felt like a good build-up. I am excited for it. I think this is where I lose everyone again of being slightly <laughs> less fond of it than other people because it just borders into that a bit too silly sometimes, mm. uh, especially at the expense of character. But on the other hand, the jokes are all funny. So <laughs> it's I, I'm, I actually... It's not that I find I only find it a divisive movie internally, <laughs> so I'm just constantly arguing. the The trailer does look very funny, but it's also notable that Gamora doesn't get a single line in it. So yeah. I feel there's I feel there's definitely a, a a strange disparity there, especially as James Gunn was uh, sort of touting that he's going to stomp all up and down the Bechdel test with his new movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, but on the other hand, I just love the big silly space opera. Uh, mm. I will enjoy Drax the Destroyer until the cows come home, I think. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I, I think, and I love that they have just risked and it ultimately paid off to push the Marvel Universe on screen into a weird and brilliant new direction. So, is, yeah, it's also interesting seeing it come out in May because the first one they put out at the end of August in 2014 and, and there was definitely a sense of, okay, this is the film we're going to put out in the dog days of summer to see how it does because we don't know how this is going to turn out and it turned out to be kind of a runaway hit. So it's it's interesting that they've, uh, you know, it's gone up to the big leagues <laughs> in a major way this time. It's like, yep, this is our only film of the year we're going to put it at the start of may when everyone's excited for the start of the summer season uh and i'm very excited to see it like you say it looks silly but also you know it kind of has a good natured silliness to it and uh, baby groot is the cutest mass murderer since pikachu you know he's i can't just... believe i didn't mention baby groot i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah vin diesel with uh, what sounds like a helium voice doing like all the baby i am groot things is uh something i think i will find endlessly charming i guess the slightly smaller gorilla of May for me is uh, <laughs> Alien Covenant, uh, so mm. which I am, um, which again, this is where I, again, sorry, sorry <laughs> to all your listeners, Edward, I actually uh, quite enjoyed Prometheus more than most. So, uh, but uh, but I definitely agree that it wasn't the movie people were expecting or necessarily mm-hmm. wanted. However, hopefully now that we've ascertained that, that there are strange new directions to take uh, Michael Fassbender's David, whether it's as some strange sentient severed head that uh, goes off to explore the galaxy Uh, so i think um, there is something there and there is just something that i find morbidly curious about the expanding the alien franchise in Mm -hmm. any direction whether it's through some of the dreadful comics some of the weird games or even just in like large-scale movies that might be perhaps a bit portentous than they needed to be (laughs) so what are your thoughts on uh... yeah i'm i'm uh I'm interested to see how it turns out now that they can admit that it's an alien movie. I think that was the thing about Prometheus. There were parts of Prometheus I really loved. I loved the uh, Caesarean section scene, which was so uh, crazy and bonkers to put in this uh, kind of big mainstream movie. Uh, And um, that I enjoyed the cast, but it just it never really kind of came together from a, a narrative or a character standpoint. Uh, and I, if I, I felt that it was very ha- hamstrung by the fact that it was 
pretending not to be an alien movie for a large part of it like yes. it, like it was clear that it had originated as something else as another script and then they grafted the alien mythology onto it uh, and it could have been better if it had been either this standalone ridley scott movie about how god hates us <laughs> or if it had been an alien prequel and trying to to be the two things didn't quite work whereas uh, i'm i'm interested to see what they can do now that they're saying okay this is an unabashed alien prequel and Prometheus sequel. <laughs> and we're going to try and bridge this gap that no one was asking to be bridged. But, um, you know, I like Michael Fassbender. I like the alien universe. Uh, and Ridley Scott, you know, he directed The Martian, which I enjoyed a lot. So even though he's had a run of films that I wasn't too keen on, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what he can do if he has got his, his mojo back. Yes. My favourite scene of Prometheus was simply the sequence where uh, David is... Uh just on the ship on his own just mm. roaming as everyone else is in in sort of stasis so i think uh, there was definitely the bits that were original were great yes i just entirely agree that it's a film that didn't know what it was and mm-hmm. even when it had been made and uh, whereas here it looks like they've decided what sort of film they're going to make and, mm-hmm. and can actually market that so i think it's uh, yeah so if, if it actually lives up to if it has aliens in it and some sort of covenant then that would be good <laughs> so, <laughs> One that I wasn't particularly keen on until I watched the trailer last now last night, and now I'm just fascinated by, is King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, which is the <laughs> attempt to launch a King Arthur cinematic universe, I guess, uh, directed by Guy Ritchie. And the reason I I like it is that the trailer is the most Guy Ritchie thing I have seen in a really long time. It's got voiceover it's got people telling a story and then being interrupted and the film reversing it's got a cockney king arthur played by charlie hunnam again kind of a neutral presence but seems to be having fun with a a ridiculous take on this this legendary character uh and uh it seems to be a melding of guy Ritchie, the kind of assured studio hand who does things like the the sherlock holmes movie and the man from uncle which were all movies i really liked particularly the man from uncle i thought that was a a really really fun underrated movie uh and and his early kind of hyperactive uh oi geezer kind of early days uh and i'm not sure if those two things can meld particularly well but uh, i'm fascinated to see how it turns out uh even though again the idea of a king arthur cinematic universe much as the long touted robin hood cinematic universe that people have been working on doesn't seem like something anyone needs or wants yeah i i must admit i've not seen the trailer but i definitely knew that it existed <laughs> so uh, <laughs> i hadn't realized i mean the one thing i can say is that uh if if you're going to do something that is so familiar i'm i'm all for doing it in completely your own way it doesn't mm. need to be like anything else i've seen before so that will probably be the the best thing about it is that it is very much guy rich's King Arthur so yeah yep. unmistakably okay, so I may go and check out that trailer then real yeah it's it's a it's a lot of fun it's a lot more <laughs> dynamic than I was expecting from a King Arthur movie particularly if you compare it to like even the King Arthur movie that came out 12 years ago but like every other treatment of the character is not uh not quite that that energetic although it is it is quite funny because I, I obviously the idea of King Arthur is he's like an urchin who becomes uh, becomes king because he pulls out a legendary sword uh, but in the trailer it's like it, at one point the words raised on the streets comes up and it's like I don't, i've never really thought of of that as the uh, the arthurian <laughs> myth <laughs> right so so merlin is some sort of fagin sort of character <laughs> is that where we're going with this okay <laughs> yeah 
the only other movie i mean there's the fifth pirates the caribbean movie which fine they've added Javier bardem which is which is a fun addition but otherwise i'm not too fussed about it at this point <laughs> that seems like a franchise that has really uh run its course which of course means it will earn a billion dollars worldwide um yes. <laughs> but what i'm actually kind of excited about to keep state keeping things water-based is baywatch because the trailer for that came out and uh it looks uh it's weirdly charming and i like the idea that they are doing the 21 jump street slash brady bunch movie approach of saying okay we have this kitschy property that was always ridiculous and was always very silly let's treat it as something that's ridiculous and silly and uh that comes across in the kind of knowing self-french for referential beginning to it where they start talking about wanting to restore baywatch's uh, reputation or something it's a bit the same basic joke as like in 21 jump street where they're talking about you know the jump street process uh the we're reviving an old project and things like that uh and the cast look like they're having a lot of fun i like priyanka chopra quite a lot i'm i'm excited to see what she does as the uh as the villain and uh yeah it just it looks like it could be a, a whole heap of silly fun uh if if done well yes i think i'm it's i always forget and then i'm always pleasantly reminded just how hilarious Zac Efron is mm. in pretty much everything so it's I think people of sort of our generation were sort of you know conditioned that ah oh, he was in high school musical we must dislike him mm-hmm. stop being so damn charming and funny man <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like, exactly. so I think he's he is really funny in this and you know a great double act with The Rock and uh but yeah just like so I've only just seen the Bad Neighbors movies um and I just think he's so funny in that um Although I just watched it and the amount of abs he has that just seems to have been like, I'm sure that's actually more abs than you're supposed to have. <laughs> and mm. I'm just like, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I could actually make it through this film, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. But like yourself, I think it sounds like they're, they're taking an old project and just doing something fun with it or at least doing something with it rather than just doing it again. Yeah. When, when, you're, out sh- when you're making The Rock look like he's slouching at the gym, I think you've got a few too many abs to spare, but yeah, he uh, like like I say he is he has proven to be a surprisingly hilarious actor. He's kind of he's just really charismatic. He's always been very charismatic, but uh, you know even in kind of the early movies that we weren't meant to like. But like since he's uh, moved away from trying to be kind of a generic romantic lead and just playing like a, a dickhead in movies that seems to have suited him for some reason he seems to be able to play that role really really well and be both reprehensible and re- kind of endearing at the same time so uh yeah so I'm, I'm excited to see how how that one turns out good justification for you like looking forward to a baywatch movie there edwin I got away <laughs> <with> it. <laughs> it does seem to be more ogling the men than the women uh or at least giving equal time which uh is kind of a nice 2017 kind of thing Okay, we're on to June now, and uh, the first one on my list, uh, a movie that I probably shouldn't be looking forward to based on all evidence, uh, is Wonder Woman. Well, likewise, I mean, the, 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 the big difference here is that I am, well, as, as a devoted DC Comics fanboy, that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of my upbringing, is that I, I am just always hopeful that it will be the first sort of fully satisfying uh, sort of movie in the Snyderverse now that... Uh, uh, that we've gone there and of, it is of course the first movie in the franchise not to be directed by Zack Snyder which is perhaps the thing yeah. that gives it its ray of light so uh, uh, I think 
Wonder Woman is definitely the highlight of Batman versus Superman for me. And mm-hmm. even just listening, it, she even gets her own soundtrack that I just listened to that little track. And that's the only bit I've sort of gone back to from that movie, mm-hmm. uh, which was released on my birthday, just to be extra cruel. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, but I am optimistic. I do think Gal, Gal Gadot had absolute charisma on it. Even she did a lot with a little and they really seemed to try to give her a little. <laughs> so it was, uh, so the movie looks fun. We have Chris Pine there as well. I think that that, that definitely looks like a fun uh, sort of premise, almost like the reverse of, just for a crass example of sort of Star-Lord and Gamora, it just seems to work the other way around, just mm. actually having the, uh, actually having Wonder Woman as the protagonist just, just moves things on a, 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 such a great deal. And I like the premise that we are essentially getting a World War One movie as well, but you know, with yeah. Olympians. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean that that's the thing that really appeals to me as well is that if that removes it so far from what we've seen so far in the Snyderverse that you can enjoy it as its own its own thing as being uh, you know taking place a hundred years ago with characters that we haven't seen before, and it can like in the same way as Captain America, the first Avenger, you know, you can enjoy this period setting about a superhero taking place in a real world conflict. And uh, the trailer does look like uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the cast is very appealing. Uh, and I like the fact that they are embracing the whole fact that it's Olympians, these godlike beings, like they are showing you a bit of that. They're not trying to um, hide it or try and make it grounded. It's like, yeah, this is like kind of epic fantasy stuff going on it happens to take place in in world war one but there are definite kind of uh shades of excessively comic booky things going on here you know we're not going to try and do a comic book movie that is as far removed from the world of comic books as possible i think i mean there is a lot of potential in uh sort of wonder woman as well based on her recent comics uh there was a run by uh brian azarello and cliff chang that essentially played like the terminator but with greek gods basically mm. where wonder woman was the kyle reese character trying to protect someone who was pregnant with zeus's uh, illegitimate child wow. and uh and and essentially just being chased by uh, sort of all of uh, by Apollo and Hades and things through it all, and it was just fantastic. Uh, so I definitely recommend that run if you enjoyed the brief moments of Wonder Woman and Batman versus Superman, and uh, cautiously optimistic. I definitely recommend that as long as as well as comics by Gail Simone as well. The, the great run on Wonder Woman. So um, uh, yeah, so there is a lot to draw on here. That it's it's amazing that this is the first time or well, other than in batman versus superman that wonder woman has had a film for such mm. a uh, for such a long standing and a sort of you know important character so yes yeah, so yes uh, it feels like this year more than ever we are kind of going fingers crossed about these kind <laughs> of installments but, uh, but yeah but the difference is perhaps that more so when the trailer was released for Batman versus Superman, there was a lot of people going, at it. And, you know, while I remained cautiously optimistic, and uh, whereas I actually think, and it seems that the consensus is that people might not be interested in a Wonder Woman movie, but those who are think, well, that actually looks like it could be quite good. So, mm. Okay, uh, next up, again, we're in the cautiously optimistic and kind of fingers crossed, but The Mummy. Uh, yes. The reboot, remake, sequel, whatever it is, of the uh, Universal franchise. I am definitely. Uh, this was actually first on my list for June. Uh, I think. I think casting Sofia Vitella as the Mummy is just an absolutely fantastic idea. Of uh, mm. if we're going to create these universal monsters together, because when I was last on your show, I was talking about how great I thought she was in Star Trek Beyond, just as a, as a, mm. a real sort of physical presence. And I think this, 
if you're going to gender flip any of the classic universal monsters, the mummy makes perfect sense with Egyptian princesses coming back to get us all. I just think, and turning it, actually attracting a name like Tom Cruise to the project, I think just gives it a certain level. And people are sort of saying, oh, it looks like a Mission Impossible movie with, uh, mm. you know, but with Egyptian monsters and stuff. And I'm just, my response to that is, that's a bad thing. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it does look funny and uh, fun rather. And what I do know as well is that uh, Jake Johnson from... Um, from New Girl and uh, Jurassic World is also in it. He's not in the trailer, so hopefully it will be funny as well. So I'm a big fan of it. So yeah, so this is a definitely a fingers crossed one for me. Yeah, it, the Tom Cruise's presence is certainly interesting because he's someone who, uh, you know, has been very picky about the projects that he does. He always seems to kind of shepherd them through, and the fact that he brought on Christopher McQuarrie, who obviously has been his kind of go-to guy for a few years now since jack reacher um did rewrites in edge of tomorrow he brought him in to direct the last mission impossible movie uh and the fact that he kind of had a hand in shaping the script suggests that it's going to play to his strengths but but the trailer also suggests that there's going to be a lot of kind of egyptian supernatural weirdness uh and that's what you want from a mummy movie you want to see something that's kind of hugely exciting but also has that uh, kind of creepy edge to it uh, and i was i was always a, um, a fan of the the kind of the original the boris karloff i really really enjoyed the first of the brendan fraser ones so uh, it's just a world that i'm always happy to see people playing with because i think there's a lot of potential there absolutely i think it's also interesting because i think it's the first project that alex kurtzman has uh, directed since mm. he and his sort of writing partnership has gone in different ways with robert orsi uh, so I've always enjoyed the work that they've done, particularly when it was with J.J. Abrams and so on. But just, I'm I'm interested just on a separate level of just seeing, I wonder what Alex Kurtzman is like as a writer-director on his own. Obviously with Chris McQuarrie in helping out in script duties mm. and I'm sure other writers for a film of this budget. But I think it's just um, very much an interesting one. And equally having a mummy movie set in the modern day is also going to be interesting as to how that works. And uh, And Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll. Oh, seeing yes. how, <laughs> seeing if uh, I, I, I'm, I am very curious to see if he will, uh, he will hide out by the end of the film, if, uh, or if he's going to remain Jekyll in this one, and then Universe will go through with their, uh, kind of repeatedly abortive attempts to do like a shared universe of all these things. Oh, and you know, Jack Dracula and told that's going to launch it. Not really. No, uh, this one seems like the, uh, the best chance they have of that by including a kind of character that could spin off and. Uh, also kind of seeming to invest like time and care and money into the people they hire to, to actually make it work yes i mean i if there is one franchise that i would love to see a shared universe of it is these universal monsters mm. so i think and it feels like this uh dr jekyll might be the sort of the almost the nick fury character in it i don't know if that's the impression <laughs> i got which would be a curious one i mean it's yes they seem to be i like the way that he is portentously narrating the trailer but on the other hand i if they can make this work as a standalone movie first i think you don't need to set up the rest of the franchise you know you can hint at a bigger world but on the other hand it yes don't put the cart before the horse i hope is what they've gone for so i kind of hope that most of uh russell crowe's part in this film is actually in the trailer as such <laughs> so uh, okay, the only other movie that I'm... I mean, we've also got Cars 3 and Transformers 5, but, um, you know, they are continuations of franchises I'm not that invested in. Although the the trailer for Cars 3 was one of the strangest things I saw last year, just kind of a deeply sad and sombre 
uh, way of announcing a new movie <laughs> in this story about sentient cars that have somehow conquered the earth. Um, the only other film that I'm kind of really interested in is uh, Sofia Coppola's remake of The Beguiled, the uh, kind of uh, Western originally directed by Don Siegel and starring Clint Eastwood, which, uh, you know, I like Sofia Coppola a lot and uh, I like the idea of her remaking a film that no one was really asking to be remade. It's not like the, the, there wasn't like a a slew of beguiled fanboys that the studio was trying to to kind of exploit by going after this beloved property it really is a case of going i'm really interested in this story i want to retell it from a woman's perspective and uh you know i'm very excited to see how that one turns out yeah i think just always interested in a sofia coppola movie again she's she's perhaps a sort of a ben wheatley type that it might not always be one you like but it's always interesting and to see Mm. i guess the other the, the the beguiled fanboys might not be going, we need a remake, but will they all be going, oh, you can't mess with the original. Will it be this year's <laughs> Ghostbusters? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and, and it's just got a great cast. It's got Colin Farrell as the Clint Eastwood role of a, a Union soldier who's held hostage by uh, members of a Confederate girl boarding school. Uh, Elle Fanning, who's been kind of a, a young actress who's really grown and, and been a, a reason to see movies in recent years. Kirsten Dunst, who has been doing great work. Uh, and Nicole Kidman, who's always a good value, even if uh, the film she's in are not always great. She's, uh, you know, always a compelling presence. So uh, I'm excited to see how that one uh, turns out. Definitely. Anything else for June for you? Um, I think World War Z or World War Z2 is emerging. And I can't oh. decide whether I'm interested in that. So maybe we should uh, move on. <laughs> I wonder if it will yeah. actually adapt the book. But uh, <laughs> but I guess, I, again, I think I enjoyed the last sequence of World War Z quite well which is the 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 low-key sort of last minute reshoot sequence uh, mm. that's sort of set in the hospital but uh i kind of guess i think jerry lane uh brad pitt's character is perhaps the least interesting character i've ever encountered <laughs> in a movie and i know he's a generic sort of observer in the movie and that's kind of the point which i suppose does reflect the book as this kind of the interviewer character but on the other hand come on brad i'm sure they're paying you something go on put some effort in <laughs> Yeah, I mean, his character, like, it felt that if you if you could take that movie and adapt it as, like, a VR experience <laughs> be, and, like, just have people just kind of watching the things happen around him because that was, that was all his character contributed was he was in those scenes so the characters got to see what was happening. Like, he really was um, his kind of audience surrogate taken to the most extreme, the, the blandest extreme. <laughs> if yeah. you can have a bland extreme, I'm not sure if... <laughs> extra medium (laughs) (laughs) yeah so well well i guess there hasn't been much word of that so i don't even know that that's the still the release date so maybe that's one to keep an eye out for but uh, maybe not (laughs) yeah world war z does seem to be the most uh the the greatest missed opportunity of recent years you take a great book which you think this would be perfect as like a tv series something where you could do all of these stories just this individually uh and instead going yeah we're going to just take this incredibly generic we're going to take this incredibly uh specific approach remove it all and just make a generic action movie with zombies Uh, yes so we've gone to a different country where there are also zombies (laughs) <laughs> ah. <laughs> the, the political geo system there <laughs> brilliant but uh beyond that that's uh kind of everything i've seen in june uh, okay uh, july has a bunch of movies that uh strike me as very interesting first being um spider-man homecoming which uh you know stars tom holland who is uh, a a highlight of 
the uh, I, I have to always make sure I say Tom Holland and not Tom Hollander, the uh, British character actor who uh, it would would be a great Spider-Man, but in a very very different movie. Uh, Tom Holland, who was a, a highlight of Captain America: Civil War, very charming Peter Parker, hugely enjoyable Spider-Man, playing basically the young Spider-Man who's all constantly amazed by his powers. That tone seems to be continued on by the 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 trailer directed for the movie directed by john watts who uh, previously directed the movie cop car with ethan hawk which is a very very fun no kevin bacon one of them definitely kevin bacon <laughs> yeah but i agree a very very good film that uh, strongly recommend yeah uh, but uh, and uh, it looks hugely fun it's got a really great cast it's fun seeing uh, robert downey jr and john favreau showing up uh, you know to kind of tie it into the marvel universe a tad uh, but but mainly I'm just uh, excited for the enthusiasm of it all, which I think was largely missing from the amazing Spider-Man uh, installments, which were, were kind of a little bit more... They tried to make uh, Spider-Man a little more angsty, uh, and this seems to be a case of saying, hey, you know, this guy's a young kid who's got superpowers and is a genius. I'm pretty sure he's going to have a little bit of fun trying to save the world. And, uh, you know, Michael Keaton as the Vulture is uh, something I'm very excited to see. He only has, I think, one line in the trailer, but it drips with menace. Yeah, and it's 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 not the best film, but I think it's, is it Extreme Measures or Desperate Measures where he plays an out-and-out sort of, you know, serial killer villain or something like that. But dreadful film with him and Andy Garcia where he's mm. got the only blood type that matches Andy Garcia's ailing son <laughs> or something. But, but I thought he was terrifying in what was essentially a terribly bad film. But mm. uh, yes, yeah, so it, this is perhaps of all of the upcoming superhero movies, the one that I still think has the highest bar to pass just because I think Spider-Man yeah. kicking off it and, and there's nothing about its marketing or anything going so far, the casting that makes me think that it won't hit that. But mm-hmm. it's it it to me feels like it is the looking to fit an already large pair of shoes that was perhaps Sam Raimi's Spider Man two, which I just think yeah. of as still one of the best superhero movies ever made. Um, and I think yeah, so it's I'm kind of I kind of am excited, but I am also it I'm just simply expecting it to be good if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So it's it's kind of the one I'm that's the kind of and I think maybe this is becoming the case with Marvel increasingly, it's the safe bet. So you don't mm. actually, you go, well, of course, I'm going to go and see that. But what other films are you looking forward to this year? <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. it's uh, it's that. But yes, I do agree that Tom Holland and just basically casting a much younger Spider-Man, that is definitely the USP of this version of Spider-Man. So I am very excited about that. Okay, next up I have War for the Planet of the Apes, which looks like fun with the trailer makes it look like it's basically aliens from the perspective of the aliens yeah. uh, it kind of it kind of has that that feel to it i've enjoyed all of the, the both of the previous ones uh, i think uh andy circus is great as caesar he he has managed to make a cgi uh, ape into a kind of a, a living breathing character and someone who you can identify with even though his aims over the course of it have been to murder people uh but you can understand why because he wasn't treated particularly well um and uh, I like the the fact that the, the the second one, which was kind of a a grand tragedy of apes and humans trying to work together, which ends up falling apart into to kind of violence and mistrust, leading into this one, which seems to be more of the apes accepting the grim reality that they are going to have to fight, and you know they are going to have to become warlike. Uh, and it adds Woody Harrelson, who's always a, a pleasure, although. Um, <laughs> His line at the very end of the trailer where he says, if we don't succeed, this will become a real planet of apes. is <laughs> a line that's very hard for anyone to make work and it did make me laugh. 
There is, yes, definitely. Like even a, an actor of the quality of Woody Harrelson was still sort of smirking a bit and trying his best. Uh, but yeah, I think this is this is perhaps of the summer blockbusters. This is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. Mm. Um, I think I Rise of the Planet of the Apes was such the pleasant surprise. I'm sure, mm. uh, and it, I think it was for a lot of people. And again, just yeah, not just in terms of the technology and just even how that advanced so much for the second one and the look of the rain on the apes. Uh, fur in this trailer just in this shot just and the snow just looks incredible um mm. i think there is part of me that uh this feels more like an overt sequel to uh, uh dawn of the planet of the apes than mm-hmm. the third in this new trilogy as such i mean obviously these yeah. two have had the same director in matt reeves who i uh, do think is very good uh but yeah there, there is a grimness uh to it uh, which is is very very good and satisfying, but uh, mm. but yeah, you you introduce this film by saying it looks a lot of fun. I would say no, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's not to say it doesn't look very good. <laughs> so it's, mm. uh, so yeah, so I I guess I kind of hope that there will be, um, even you know just uh, elements of it that are not just a gritty uh, humans versus apes subplot. Uh, not sorry, not subplot. It isn't just a gritty humans versus apes, but there is actually other stuff at play as well, which I think that leading to actually asking a bit more of its themes and things, because there is this brilliant sort of genre piece that can just uh, have a look at around as well, and uh, you know maybe have a bit of commentary in there like uh, the originals did. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see grace moments in it because i think the first one had a lot of those moments where it was yes particularly in dealing with young caesar growing up with james franco and uh, john lithgow but also uh, the second one had that lovely scene where they uh, are in a gas station and the power comes back on and they it's just like a couple of humans and the apes listening to the band <laughs> listening to the weight by the band kind of just this moment of connectivity before everything starts to fall apart uh, and it was just like a really lovely little moment i think what has so far um marked this franchise in comparison to a lot of other blockbuster franchises they do seem to find those moments for just kind of you know little non blockbustery moments just like characters enjoying time together uh, absolutely the plot makes it seem like there may not be that many opportunities for it but um hopefully they'll find a little room for it yeah i think that's that's the the twist of just not making it uh, sort of so grim and dark but also just keeping it uh, yes, so that if characters are going to fight, you care about the characters. That's the same mm. with any war movie, but at least this one is out and out war for the planet of the apes. And uh, yeah. so at least they know exactly what they're trying to do with that. So to make us care about anybody. But yeah, so um, I can't remember when uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes actually came out, but this does feel like it has a note of confidence in it having a July release. Uh, mm. and actually that they are sort of billing it already with the other movies that are coming so it, it's trailer dropping at the same time in a month that it's coming out the same time as uh, Spider-Man Homecoming it does at least feel like there is an alternative that is is you've got the bright and breeziness of Spider-Man and you've got a big proper you know monkey war <laughs> in, the, in, in, <laughs> in the screen next door so <laughs> yeah so fingers crossed definitely for that one that is the one I am hoping to be one of my films of the year I'd say yeah uh okay going from monkey war to human war uh that month also sees the release of dunkirk christopher nolan's big budget retelling of the the evacuation from dunkirk at the beginning of the well not yeah the sort of the beginning of world war ii that uh in the ads is being billed as the event that shaped our world which 
seems a bit grand. I mean, it was important, but it seems it's. It, I've never really thought as Dunkirk as uh, pivotal to all of human events, but uh, the trailers so far and and the posters, which uh, have included Christopher Nolan's favorite shot of the back of a character looking at something big, which he has done in, for Inception <laughs> and the Dark Dark Knight, uh, uh, is present and correct, uh, and the scale of it looks very impressive. I. I got the feel based on like the cast, which includes people like Tom Hardy and Mark Rylance and even Harry Styles and Killian Murphy. Like it has this feel of like an old school Hollywood blockbuster where you just kind of grab all of the kind of uh, luminaries and all of the big actors and then maybe like a young heartthrob to get the young people in to watch a potentially very stodgy war movie. Uh, you know, it, it kind of in, in terms of being kind of just huge in scope and the kind of war movie that don't tend to get made anymore. Um, just the approach to the casting kind of suggests that he's reaching for something in a, a big epic tradition of Hollywood filmmaking. Uh, and I'm, even though I've been down on everything he's done since inception, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what he does outside of his, his comfort zone of sci-fi movies. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I am, um, this is perhaps the, in terms of its concept, the least appealing of it. I have enjoyed mm. uh, things like interstellar a great deal. But um, I think that the idea of him doing a film like this and the fact that he kind of has carte blanche to do whatever he likes. So I, I mm. kind of feel and I haven't read anything to this effect that I can remember, but I feel that this is a story that he is really, really passionate about to tell. So from his point of view, maybe this is the events that help shape our world. So, uh, yeah, I think um, I think, yeah, and to seeing a, a, a filmmaker of his sort of caliber and style doing essentially you know, if this is his saving Private Ryan, then I'm mm. really interested to see that as a concept of, let's see how Chris Nolan does that sort of movie. So yeah, like, exactly as you say, it's going to be grand and there's, you can't help but have a profundity in a good war movie that perhaps mm. he didn't quite pull off in execution in, in, in as accessible a manner as he could through films like Interstellar. So I think this could actually be a very, very different shift and I'm all for directors entering new phases yeah yeah it's it looks it certainly looks very impressive and like even just that brief glimpse of mark rylance makes you think oh this could probably be good even if that's just the only scene he's in uh i'll watch him in anything he's such a compelling presence yeah uh, but... uh, uh, and there's no there's no footage of tom hardy in the trailer so i have to wonder how big his role is i hope it's considerable because his work with like like i didn't care much for the dark knight rises but his performance as bane is like is hugely enjoyable much imitated uh and his his turn in inception is is like probably him at his most charming so seeing him maybe like leading men into battle or or trying to help uh save lives in in the fight seems uh seems like it could be well suited to his uh his uh tool set i equally agree i think that Tom Hardy, though, is probably, we have to accept that he is probably doing some sort of accent in this film. And Chris <laughs> Nolan probably decided, you know what, let's just not have people talk about it. We'll just leave him out of the trailer. His name's on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get into that argument again. <laughs> I had one, a couple more of films that uh, I don't really know what to make of. The first being Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which is the new Luc Besson epic sci-fi movie starring Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne based on a series of apparently very acclaimed graphic novels that are, I think are very popular in France. Uh, it 
looks very much like him working in the fifth element vein like fifth element is cited at the start of the trailer because uh, i think that's kind of gives people a sense of it it looks visually very stunning it looks a big epic space thing uh but mainly i'm just excited because it's got rihanna in it and i like the idea of a movie whose premise seems to be dane dehan and uh cara delevingne working for space rihanna and uh, <laughs> that's all i need to know that's all i need to know about the movie Oh, well, fair enough. Yeah, well, I, I, there are other aspects, but uh, they pale in comparison <laughs> to that that I was looking forward to. So fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I am equally, I think I, I do love The Fifth Element and I think I just enjoy it more on repeat watching as well, actually. Mm. I maybe like it more these days than I did when I first saw it as a teenager, I think. Um, and I think, yes, I mean, I have seen some of the Valerian comic strips uh, that I think are, you know, equally just as mind-bogglingly bright and colourful and just filled mm. with ideas. So I, I think... If you're going to adapt anything, I, I think this is a great. This is it is the perfect match for a Luke Besson movie. Whether that leads to a yeah. good movie, I don't know. But this is uh, Dane DeHaan has a kind of. I'm looking forward to seeing him as a uh, a lead, I guess, because he's sort of. I only know him really as sort of unsettling, creepy characters. So him being mm, a, a yeah. charming, roguish uh, character is is uh, another aspect to him. Which uh, th- there's nothing in the trailer to suggest that he won't pull that off, but. Uh, it's just I, I'm just still remembering him as sort of unsettling, slightly melting uh, Spider-Man villain, so or, or as yeah. Dolan Chronicle. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So maybe Space Rihanna just needs to watch her back if she's really going to hire <laughs> him. But yeah. So yes, I think that's one that if if it's maybe Guardians of the Galaxy has seeded uh, that this sort of movie, as well as we were saying, as the science-based science fiction movies that we are also going full space opera at the same time as mm. well, is is brilliant. Uh, that's why it's my favourite genre. But on the other hand, it's coming out the same year as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. So uh, is there room, even if they're a couple of months apart? Yeah, I I like to try and pick out the movies each year that, on the face of it, seem like they're not going to succeed either because they're just too weird or they're uh, horribly misguided. And uh, I think Valerian seems like one that, like like a Jupiter Ascending or a John Carter, is going to struggle to connect with a mainstream audience but will probably much like the the fifth element which i don't think did too well in america but did really well worldwide um Mm. you know that could be one that could build up a a cult audience and be watched by me multiple times a year because it will end up being in constant rotation on tv i think there was a there was a period where i for several years i think i ended up watching the fifth element like four or five times a year just because it was constantly on bbc2 yes every Every time they had like a gap in the schedule, it'd be like, what can we put on? Fifth Element, why not? Skills two hours. And uh, yeah, that's a a kind of a distinctive and original movie that uh, this obviously is based on a a pre-existing property, but everything about it screams Luc Besson uh, having a whale of a time and and doing something really swinging for the fences. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how that one turns out. And the last one I have for July is The Dark Tower, which... Uh, I'm very, very excited about. Uh, this is kind of a project that's been mooted for a very long time. Uh, Ron Howard tried to get it made simultaneously as a movie in a TV series at one point, which uh, it was too uh, too ambitious for uh, Hollywood to make, even though it probably would have been the only thing that would make sense for the original story. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's got Matthew McConaughey as uh, as the, the man in black. It's got Idris Elba as uh, Roland, which is uh, very exciting to me. And uh, nothing really has been released other than a few images and a leaked work print of the trailer, which I didn't watch because I thought it's probably not the best way to experience this yeah. grainy <laughs> and uh, without completed music. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see 
how that one turns out and, and what they do with uh Stephen King's epic and um wonky mythology of that <laughs> series. It is, I must admit, because I'm a massive Stephen King fan, and I think I've worked out there are three books of his that aren't the Dark Tower series that I've not read. Mm. <laughs> However, I've only read the first half of the first Dark Tower book, and that was me starting this year trying to sort of get an idea of it before the film came out. So I, I am excited. I'm interested in it just as a as a standalone property of it being, oh, mythical fantasy with Idris Elba slowly chasing Matthew McConaughey across uh, this uh, this landscape. So mm. that that in itself sold, but uh, but uh, I know that it becomes an all-encompassing mythology that uh, takes in all of not only all of Stephen King's stories, but all fiction ever, I think, and uh, and basically yeah. this world and beyond. So, but I, I I was slightly put off that the edition of uh, the first Dark Tower book I started reading has a note from Stephen King apologizing for it and, I was kind of, and so I think I've got a slightly revised edition that he's done himself mm. added a few more bits and bobs uh polished it around a bit but uh I, I was I, it's the fact that even the author says if you can bear with it until the third or fourth book you'll be fine you'll be fine <laughs> so, so uh, maybe I'll just let uh, maybe I'll wait for the movies but uh, I know I have so many people uh, so many friends who um that just sounds like a brag, doesn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I know a lot of people who are really, really big fans of the book, uh, the, the series, and so are really hoping this pays off. So I definitely hope this delivers for them as well. But it's the fact yeah. that universal casting acceptance for Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey, uh, that just seems bode well, I think, that choices are being made and they might vary, but the changes are also actually sound like they're really going to help. Mm, yeah the, i think i have the same edition that comes with that apology note from stephen king <laughs> I, I think at times he has basically says that he wants to rewrite the entire series to kind of because because he started writing it in the 70s and he finished it in the early 2000s and i think uh along the way it changed and morphed and and wasn't quite what he originally intended it to be or or it evolved into something he was happier with and he wasn't entirely happy with how the first few turned out and i kind of wonder if uh the, the films if it this is a success and it becomes a whole series will kind of fulfill his vision in that they'll be able to start from a point of saying, okay, we know how the whole, how the whole story works out. We can uh, key in on all of the stuff, but obviously not necessarily having to have like Jack Nicholson show up as Jack Torrance or whatever, you know, (laughs) not, not having to uh, uh, connect all of the dots between all of his different fiction, because at a certain point, I think that would drive anyone who isn't Stephen King insane. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's uh, it. it's, it sounds baffling uh, the way it's been pitched. And I know he always references himself and then Joe Hill's stories uh, sort of get absorbed in and vice versa mm. as well. So I I think if we could just pare it down to, right, so that bloke's chasing that bloke, is he? Sorted. Right, off we go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have anything else for July? Uh, no, that no, that was it. So And then I don't know about yourself, but August for me looks actually quite scanting what's uh, been been booked. Yeah, I have literally one movie in August oh, that I'm excited about. I wonder about. if it's the same one as I do. Is uh, it Baby Driver, the latest ad? Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, yes. I mean, I must admit, I did write down that Emojiville Express Yourself is released uh, mm. in that month, but uh, uh, I guess in a podcast, uh, the listeners of this can have to guess what sort of face I'm pulling as I say that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the emoji equivalent. Um so yes, but Baby Driver it is also quite a mysterious uh, project in itself uh, in mm. terms of what we know about it, other than the cast of people like John Hamm and, and Edgar Wright doing his own film 
sort of again now without with the Cornetto trilogy concluded uh, it's mm-hmm. it's again he seems to be going into a new phase so uh, I'm intrigued what are your thoughts I'm very excited by it like, like you say I'm excited to see what he does uh, on his own because the only other time really was uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world which he co-wrote with Michael Bacall and obviously was based on pre-existing material this is the first project he's done entirely written and directed on his own without any pre-existing source material so i'm excited to see what uh unalloyed uh, edgar wright is like without anyone else there to kind of alter or share his vision and i'm sure it will be and it's just been so long since he last had a film because uh, it's been four years since the world end came out he was meant to do ant-man obviously that didn't happen um and uh, so i'm just excited to see him get behind a camera again and, and like you say with a cast that's john ham kevin spacey jamie fox ansel elgort who uh I always say his name sounds like it's an anagram. Um, <laughs> if you fig- if you figure out what his real name is, you'll get his rubies. Uh, Lily James, you know, is kind of a great cast. I like the idea of kind of a comedic action movie about a driver who kind of goes on a job that goes awry. Uh, and these all seem to the things for, for someone like Edgar Wright, whose influences are so heavily shaped by Sam Raimi, but also Walter Hill, like, you know, raw, lean action movies. This seems like it could be a perfect synthesis of his influences if he's doing a story that is focused and about like a handful of characters in a bad situation, but also funny. It could be hugely uh, exciting. So, uh, yes, I'm very excited to see how that one turns out. Yeah, I think it's the fact that it is his own original story is perhaps the most mm. exciting, even if we're not entirely sure of all of the details other than everything goes wrong. Uh, I think it's that's definitely the appealing uh, factor. I think, uh, I, I'm not sure I know your opinions on Scott Pilgrim, but I guess I enjoyed the style of it. But I guess this this automatically feels a bit smaller and more contained as like mm. a, a stylish thriller. Whereas that, even though it's a definitely a sort of a, a different kind of comic that still felt like a large comic book adaptation which ultimately then had a lot of money to make back which it didn't so uh yeah i love i love scott pilgrim i think it's a, a terrific adaptation of the comics i think the comics are better just in terms of there's six of them and they can delve into the the emotional sides a bit more i think that stuff is is there's is kind of um short a little bit in the adaptation but it, there's just enough there that you can get invested although i do feel that uh the ending you know he should have he should have got together with knives i think knives yes, is better for him than ramona uh which isn't necessarily a sense that you get in the comics but in the film you do get the sense that well actually he shouldn't have got together with any of them because he doesn't know everyone should have told him to well. bugger off really shouldn't <laughs> but like stylistically it's it's usually fun and it does hit a lot of my kind of nostalgia pleasure uh buttons in terms of its uh its, its game video game aesthetic and and everything so there's lots there's lots i like in it but uh yeah, I, I'm I'm still excited to see him move on and to do uh, exciting new things. Uh, ma- mainly, I'm just happy that he somehow managed to get Scott Pilgrim made uh, and that it's a standalone movie that, you know, he didn't kind of make the first installment and then it failed and he didn't get to continue the story. He was like, nope, we're going to cram all of this into a single story and then, you know, move on. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, Baby Driver is scheduled for release in August. Uh, as you're saying, that was the uh, sort of a nice slot at the end of the summer where people aren't that interested but it's also just interesting that nothing else has been put there yet so uh, mm. if baby driver just becomes the smash hit because it's the only film on in august i think we'll all be fine with that won't it? so good for edgar right <laughs> so just calling that yeah. one already okay so that's everything in terms of film so we're now we're just going to talk about non-film things that we're looking forward uh, in the year ahead to to end the uh, the episode most of mine is is tv stuff kind of the big one uh, the kind of 
thing that I'm looking forward to probably more than anything is the revival of Twin Peaks. I think you've probably guessed that that's the same for me as well. But uh, the 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 apprehension and excitement and anticipation <laughs> is uh, is and it's not far off. So yeah, so it's uh, so yeah, so fingers crossed definitely for that one. I have been rewatching uh, Twin Peaks this year on the fancy new Blu-ray set. I have been re-listening to podcasts about Twin Peaks for other people. So <laughs> it's just like and uh, I I know you've read The Secret History of Twin Peaks by Mark Frost, but I'm planning mm. on uh, unwrapping and delving into that on Christmas Day. So uh, I'm very much uh, excited about this and this I do feel that that having Mark Frost and David Lynch back is uh, is is just the key. That having them having them both, I think, is the secret to their success. Yeah, I mean, it's been ten years. I know he's been doing lots of short films and internet stuff, but it's been ten years since anything David Lynch has directed anything really significant since uh, Inland Empire came out. So when it was announced first oh they're bringing twin peaks back i thought oh that'd be really cool and then when it says he's directing every episode it's like oh my god that's probably going to double the total number of minutes of footage that david lynch has ever shot because (laughs) i mean they seem to be uh, unclear even how long it's going to be like they seem to be saying oh it's going to be like 20 episodes divided up over two seasons or it's going to be you know that there was a lot of hemming and hawing about how big the story was going to be and um that uh gives me pause just because when they had that much time to fill the first time around um you got james hurley driving around his motorcycle a lot to fill time like uh, a dull but... terminator wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so if if so there's that risk but um at the same time it's the fact that they've clearly been stewing over this the idea for a while makes me me hope that they have a clear idea of where it's going, which is always a fool's errand with TV, it seems. Anytime you think people know where the story is going, it doesn't go that way. Um, but I'm also just excited because they've cast everyone. Every yeah. single person is in the revival of Twin Peaks. Uh, and I'm, I'm uh, excited to see just because we know so little about it what it's going to be, how they're going to handle the fact that it's 26 years since the show ended and that it ended in a very strange way. Yeah, it's just, it's in, a, in an age in which everything is kind of teasered and trailered to death to have something that is really high profile, which we know nothing about, is uh, kind of exhilarating. Yeah, it's just like, yes, I think like the big sort of thing that's been revealed is that at some point, Carl McLaughlin will wear a suit. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, <laughs> which, to be fair, he does look very good in. And, uh, and it did actually give me chills. And it's not like uh, that Special Agent Dale Cooper's outfit was particularly remarkable, was it? <laughs> but it uh, definitely suits him. I think the uh, the best thing about the, 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 for him is that he doesn't look anything like the, he does as a younger man wearing aged makeup for the 25 years later yeah. dream sequence i think that's definitely the uh, the uh, the charm of it which i presume can only be down to uh, uh, demonic possession or whatever the, <laughs> uh, the uh, ultimate twists are i think i was trying to think because i knew we would uh, talk about this as something i guessed we would both be looking forward to next year but it was am i looking forward to twin peaks as answering questions uh, from the previous series and firewalk with me it's movie and I was just thinking, I don't even want to think of it in those terms because I bet David Lynch is probably considering that we should have different questions than the one we're already thinking of. So it's time, like, mm. don't expect answers in this series, I think is the way I'm trying to approach it. Expect brand new questions and just more, more. Um, yeah, I think that the worst thing that this could be is if uh, everyone just turns to camera every time someone says pie or coffee or donuts <laughs> or uh 
we have to go to this owl cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I definitely don't want it to answer questions. If it does, that's fine. But um, I, I kind of think back to last year with the X-Files re revival, where that did seem to go into it thinking, okay, there's all these questions that you want answered about the conspiracy. And that was completely not the appeal of the X-Files for me ever was I didn't really care about the answers. I just liked those characters and, you know, Monsters of the Week stuff and then, you know, going to do some conspiracy stuff, which was just creepy and unnerving. And, you know, what I want from a Twin Peaks reboot is to see those characters again, to return to that world where you have the dichotomy between the cheeriness of small time, small town American life and uh, the roiling darkness and uh depravity underneath the surface and and then the, the genuine supernatural stuff going on in the white and the black lodge and you know i just i want to return to that and i want to like yeah i want to have new questions i don't want answers to old ones yeah i agree i think uh it's just in tv wise as well as that um i have really been enjoying the leftovers which uh, mm. has a similar sort of tone i absolutely loved the book which i'd read before the series i think if anyone has listening has been put off because of Damon Lindelof and they they don't like his work on Lost or uh, um, Prometheus, this is it's it's a completely different style to it. I would definitely recommend it. It's it's a strange sort of. It's I mean it's not like Twin Peaks, but there is a definitely haunting tone to it that is uh, absolutely contained in this uh, in this small town or this small community trying to cope with a rapture like event that causes. Uh, small percentage of the world's population to disappear and i've just uh, they've gone well beyond where the book went and i've just absolutely in awe especially as this is they've decided going to be its final series so it's, mm. as we were saying earlier these final chapters and how they build towards them are always really interesting i think a deliberate end is a good thing i think yeah also on hbo i'm really looking forward to the tv show the young pope which ah. is uh created by paolo sorrentino who's a great uh, italian filmmaker did lots of uh, like the consequences of love and il divo and more recently the movie youth with uh, michael Caine, and uh, it stars jude law as a the first american and as the title says relatively young pope and the trailers for it are ridiculous um, <laughs> like he has lines like this pope does not negotiate uh, and you will call me your holiness and it just looks it looks very very silly but everything Paolo Sorrentino does is outrageous and extreme and weird so I'm hoping that the seeing those moments in context will will make more sense and, and what people have said of after seeing it uh has me kind of thinking it's going to be really interesting but um yeah just just the ads for that have given me more pleasure than almost anything else I've seen this this year because it's such a strange idea uh and it's also got Diane Keaton in it who I love and uh, I like the idea of her sparring with the most arrogant uh, pope in the world, played by Jude Law. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited about that, <laughs> even though it looks bizarre. I always wondered if the working title for it was House of Cardinals, and then, <laughs> and then became immensely ashamed of myself. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I do uh, think that looks interesting. I think Jude Law is—I've never quite bought him as like the sort of charismatic leading man sort of thing because mm -hmm. there's a quality to him that i mean not in his performance not him uh that i think he is far more interesting at these sort of uh the the less tom hanksy the more kevin spacey kind of slightly mm -hmm. insidious kind of roles and i think so if, if it's great if this is something they can really get his teeth into so yeah so interesting and it definitely looks gorgeous and weird and as you say diane keaton bold <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and the only other one that uh, I'm really looking forward to, I know almost nothing about other than that it's got some of the most atmospheric trailers I've seen, is a show called Taboo, which is created by Stephen Knight, who uh, directed the uh, the movie Lock with Tom Hardy and also co-created Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is um, <laughs> a particularly <laughs> strange claim to, to fame. But um, it's a TV show starring Tom Hardy and I believe it takes place in Victorian England and he plays a man who uh, uh, looks to have been murdered, who comes back to life to wreak vengeance and the entire aesthetic of it is gothic and weird and kind of reminds me of the video game Shadow Man, which I was a big fan of on the N64. And uh, it just looks really, really strange. And I, I, I find Tom Hardy to be such a dynamic presence that uh, the idea of him headlining a TV series, TV series where he looks like he's just going to be going after people who wronged him uh, in a kind of strange, gothic, supernatural context uh, strikes me as very exciting yeah i think so I, i've only seen a little about that as well but yeah but, but just tom hardy doing tv is uh is always good getting to some long form character stuff so i think would be mm. would be grand i think um other than that just a few sci-fi things i am still you know optimistic for star trek discovery it feels like mm. it's uh gonna definitely uh be um uh, an interesting and necessary show sorry to lose brian fuller as its showrunner but as it as it's because he's concentrating on American Gods, another show I'm excited about. Then I think there's definitely some exciting TV this year, and even good cast the, for Star Trek Discovery so far. So far, yeah. Even if yeah. not quite sure who's playing where or what, but uh, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, even just I mean, Michelle Yeoh, obviously you cast in anything. Then I think mm. we're excited about that. But Doug Jones as a as an alien uh, science officer, instantly we kind of went, of course he's that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah, I think yes, yeah, so that's uh, yeah, something I'm definitely eager to also learn more about before it actually comes uh, that that's the thing i'm actually every choice so far seems to be like going that's very interesting yeah so mm. I, i'm looking forward to it being part of that shared universe but also its own thing so so definitely fingers crossed there um there is uh, i am looking forward to uh, a book i don't know i don't think the girl with all the gifts uh the movie has made it across uh to america yet it was released here uh, at the end of autumn uh i don't think so no no it's not uh, yet with uh Gemma arterton and paddy constein and glenn mm. close it's uh based on the novel by mr carey and uh is uh, definitely one of my films of the year so i would recommend everybody check that out um cool. and its sequel is uh or in fact it's prequel beg your pardon is out in as a novel uh, uh out this year as well i think sometime in the spring so i definitely recommend the book and the film uh it's, it's definitely one of my highlights this year uh, but yes, but beyond that, I'm not not been. Uh, I was looking to see if there were any big comic book events uh, coming up uh, this year, uh, and there were none that really intrigued me. <laughs> so I don't. I maybe cut that bit. <laughs> it's like a, comics, none. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm pretty sure with you another reboot of the Marvel and DC franchises. It's been like two years since the last one. They seem to be yeah. having. It's like it's like Pacific Rim. They keep happening more and more often. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I think the new high concept is, what if Batman was a chair? (laughs) (laughs) And they go, oh, yeah, it's interesting. We haven't really explored his character in that sort of furniture facet, have we? (laughs) So, yeah, but uh, again, but obviously those won't have been uh, uh, signposted quite so far in advance yet. So fingers crossed Mm. for some good comics to become maybe the good films of tomorrow as well. So, yeah. (laughs) 
Great. Okay. So uh, thank you very much for for coming on this episode, John. This uh, long look at the year ahead. Yeah. Uh, sorry to ramble on a bit there, but uh, yeah. Hopefully... No, these are always these are always long because I always think, oh, I'll just try and look up like a couple of films per month, and then I look at it, it's like, oh, five movies for March. Christ. Um, you know, because the, as soon as you start digging in, the more things start cropping up. Um, but yeah. Oh. I forgot that Duncan Jones has a movie coming out this year uh, on Netflix called Mute at some point. Um, but yeah, excited about that. Sure. I'm very excited <laughs> about that. It's it's in the shared, it's in the shared universe just to keep that on message of moon, isn't it? I think. Is it, is it set yeah. in the same world? Is that, I had gathered that right. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. I think he said there's some, there's some kind of uh, vestigial ties between the two. Yeah. I mean, even if it's uh, another sort of Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane thing, I'm excited for mm. that. And in fact, just to, to add on to that, I d- couldn't see when the release date was, but uh, God Particle, which is another J.J. Abrams produced film, is rumoured mm. to be the third in the sort of strange Cloverfield universe. And I, I know that we had different opinions on the ending, but uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was definitely one of my films for this year. And again, one of yeah. those lovely films that was... Um, sort of so small in scale that it didn't actually have to do that well in order to be a massive profit <laughs> so uh, mm. in its low budget so yeah so hopefully there'll be a few little things and yeah and like you say with netflix actually who knows what this year's stranger things will be because we hadn't even heard yeah. of that so maybe mute will sneak out or the oa which has just landed on uh, netflix with uh, uh with brit marling who did another earth and the sound of my voice just looks a similarly mysterious show so uh, yeah so i hope there'll be a lot of the things I'm looking forward to this year are definitely the surprises. So. Mm. There's so much content, so much content coming out. It's hard to keep track, but hopefully we've uh, we've provided a guide for people to uh, kind of look forward for things over the coming year. Okay, if you've enjoyed the show, then please uh, like and subscribe to us on iTunes or whichever podcast uh, podcast app that you use. Uh, if you really enjoyed the show, please write us a review. It helps us find new listeners, and uh, it's just a nice way of supporting the show. We're on Facebook and on Twitter at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. I think I'm going to take a few weeks' break after, after this episode and uh, kind of draw up plans for what the next couple of months of the show are going to be but uh until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye as well from me thank you very much for having me edward